Time for swordplay. Alex, because of the coronavirus, a lot of people's lives have been upended. They are having to shelter in place or stay at home. What's been going on at the flood house? Well, you know, Nick, uh, we've been binge watching Netflix shows, watched a few movies, uh, a few YouTube videos, and then my kids were like, Dad, can we watch something that we like? (laughs) This is swordplay. Hat tip to Jimmy Fallon. I stole that from uh, Jimmy Fallon. We are your hosts. (laughs) I am Nick Perez, preaching minister for the Davis Park Church of Christ in Modesto, California. I'm Alex Flood, and I'm an evangelist for the Lake Phelan Church of Christ in St. Paul, Minnesota. This is a show where we always cite our sources, by the way. On this episode of Swordplay, we're going to be talking about the coronavirus and how Christians should relate to it. And also, we'll talk about coronavirus and Christ and really what what we should be doing, how we should be thinking as Christians, and uh, hopefully offer some useful suggestions for how to deal with uh, the coronavirus uh, in our own personal lives. That's right. And really, uh, we're speaking to the stress that people feel right now. Even if you're not personally concerned for yourself or your family, uh, it is stressful to have your schedules upended and turned around and uh, all of a sudden things that you thought were going to happen are not happening and you can't go anywhere. Places are closed and shut down and even parks are closed. So everybody, I think, is feeling the stress. Uh, you can see more and more people panic buying and whatnot. And we originally, we were not going to do another show until April because uh, I'm in the middle of writing my master's thesis and I just I needed more time to work on it. But as things began to escalate in uh, you know the world around us and in our country and in our state and local communities, I thought, you know, it's at times like these that the voice of the Christian needs to speak, and it needs to speak clearly and calmly and truthfully to what it is we believe and where our hope lies because of our faith as Christians. So this podcast, it's not scripted. We haven't uh, written out questions and answers. Uh, This is off the cuff, Uh, probably won't be very long, but it's something that Nick and I want to do as an encouragement to you, O diligent listener. So Nick, maybe just to start off with, you know, during these times of uh, trouble, what are some encouraging verses or encouraging thoughts that have uh, popped into your mind along the way? Well, um, so so first I want to start with um, how behavioral scientists, they've actually discovered um, everybody has what's called a reticular activating system. And it kind of works like this. Uh, I like to use the game slug bug. Uh, You're going down the road and um, you see a Volkswagen VW slug bug, one of the, the bugs from back in the day. They have the new ones, of course, but... Um, and you call it out. Well, those cars are everywhere. But until you're actually playing the game, you really don't usually notice them. Um, also, you could do it this way, like like when you want to buy a car and you're thinking about purchasing a specific kind of car. Um, I don't know, let's say like a, a Ford minivan. Well, all of a sudden, you're going to be noticing every other van is that specific Ford minivan. And 
That's that's what again what behavioral scientists call the reticular activating system. We all have it. Um, we when we are prepared to see something, that's what we're going to see. And so I think that's applicable to kind of what we're seeing with uh, all the uh, the fear that we see with the coronavirus. Listen, if if you are prepared to see only gloom and doom, that's what you're going to see. But on the other hand, if you have prepared yourself and have really settled your mind and settled in your heart uh, the truth of God's word, I think I think that will you're going to see something different, and you're going to look at things differently. It's all in what are you prepared to see, and so I'm mindful of the Book of Lamentations. Probably the worst event in history is not probably it is the worst event in history when Jesus died on the cross. Right behind that is probably when the Solomonic Temple was destroyed back in the 6th century uh, B.C. And it was a time of great lamentation. And Jeremiah the prophet is on scene to document all that. And he does in the little book of Lamentations. And it's just one long wail, except in the middle. In the heart of the book, Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, verses 21 and following, he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore Mm -hmm. I have hope. Mm -hmm. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Jeremiah, even though it is literally doom and gloom he sees, people are dying, the temple where God's presence was has been torn down, he's prepared to see... That's right, there's famine. Exactly, and he's prepared to see Yahweh is good. Yahweh is my portion, and Yahweh, his steadfast love never ceases, and he's got divine mercy for us, and Yahweh is faithful. And so what are you prepared to see in all this? Are you prepared to see only doom and gloom, and therefore you have to go out and stockpile toilet paper or whatever, or are you prepared to say, you know what, my God is good, my God is faithful, Uh, he still loves me, and um, salvation comes from him. Uh, those are very different ways of looking at the world, especially in times of crisis, whether personal or national. Um, we we need uh, to hear, I believe, at least uh, in this instance, from Jeremiah. What else do you think we need to hear, Alex? I like that passage you referenced. In fact, uh, Lamentations three nineteen through um, twenty four. That was the first passage of scripture I ever memorized as a Christian. And it was one of the first sermons I ever heard uh, when I was after I was baptized when I was 17 years old, and so I remember that. It was like I was a I hadn't read the Bible, hadn't um, studied much of the Bible, but I was a new Christian, recently baptized, heard a sermon on this passage, and uh, and this would have been in 2003, hmm. um, in the fall of 2003, and I this. This verse, this passage stuck with me so long that I can still quote it word for word today. It's a powerful passage. And that's a good thing to do um, is scripture memorization. You know, you don't have to memorize the whole Bible, but maybe there's those few verses that just speak so strongly to you that you should put those to memory. 
good thing about this passage is that it's actually a song, right? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Right. Mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. That's helpful as well, too. And we'll talk about the benefit of singing songs uh, in a few moments. But, uh, you know, the first passage I, I'd like to think about and that's been coming to mind is uh, it's in Exodus chapter 8. And in the midst of all the plagues, you know, God is sending plague after plague after plague against Egypt. He's displaying his power as really uh, overcoming and destroying the power of Egypt and Egypt's gods. But there's this part where he says to the Israelites, he says in Exodus 8.22, but on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, Yahweh, am in the midst of the land. And so God, he uh, made sure that people knew the difference between his people and everybody else. And so uh, not to evoke the promise of supernatural protection, no matter what happens, uh, that's not always the case, is it? However, God is interested in his people standing out and being set apart as different from everybody else. And so I think about that and how God does that and how he does that spiritually in the heavenly realms, thinking of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, where we have been sealed with the mark of the Holy Spirit, which is like a um, signet ring impression upon our souls, which marks us as the property of Yahweh, which he will redeem and has put a deposit down through uh, the purchase of our of our salvation through Christ Jesus. And so I think about um, how that even makes, it relates to apocalyptic literature, right? And so I don't think uh, our current circumstances are about, you know, the book of Revelation. I think the Revelation is stuff that already happened in 70 AD, but regardless, in Revelation, it does say that there are those who have been marked out, stamped on their foreheads as belonging to God. They don't belong to uh, the beast. They don't belong to the powers of darkness. And so that's what has happened to the Christian, those who have placed their trust and allegiance in Christ Jesus. We are marked. We are sealed as God's property. We are already set apart in the heavenly realms. And... Uh, Paul hints at that and says that, you know, we stand out like shining lights in the midst of a dark world. He says that in Philippians. Um, and so how much more should we stand out in our own behavior and our choices and the way that we speak to one another and to those, our neighbors, our community, who are, uh, with good reason, stressed, afraid, panicking. So we ought to remember at least this one thought, how is God going to use me to stand out in the midst of my community so that people will know the difference between God's people and everybody else? You know, Jesus said, here's how the world will know that you're my disciples in John 13, that you love each other as I have loved you. And that love is a sacrificial love. And so perhaps being that person in the community that uh, delivers bread, even if you don't have much bread, but delivers bread to those who have no bread. And so 
this even goes back to some things we talked about in the book of James in our recent podcast series. It is challenging, I think, for the Christian to think, hmm, I don't have much for me and my family, so how can I give out of what little I do have to those who have less? That's a scary thing when you're thinking about what's best for you and your kids, and it may be tempting to think, well, maybe if I stockpile on everything, I'll have plenty for my own family and plenty to share with those who don't have anything. But that's not a good reason to stockpile. That may seem like a good reason. I can see how you can logic that out, but I think that's fear-based. I think that the best thing to do is to let, uh, let whatever you don't need stay on the shelves. And so get what you just need now, not what you'll need for the next six months. So that way other people who need it now as well will have it on the shelves. So that, and we'll, this is, I'm kind of intermixing, you know, uh, devotional thoughts with practical thoughts, but that's just the way my mind is working right now. And again, this is off the cuff. So, you know, we'll, we'll shoot it back and forth. So, uh, Nick, what else do you think is encouraging from the scriptures? Well, uh, so what do you do when you don't know what to do? Uh, that's, I think, the question that's at the heart of a book like Habakkuk, which is, uh, you can, I believe we talked about that, you can find it in the archives, uh, that, that little book of Habakkuk. And typically, a prophet has a specific, he receives word, opens his mouth, and speaks. In Habakkuk's case, there's actually a dialogue between him and God, and it's uh, active, it's energetic, it's open, it's honest, even some cases perhaps argumentative, very interesting uh, dialogue that Habakkuk has with God. And essentially it starts off, God, Habakkuk says, when are you going to do something? And God says, well, you know, I, I wasn't going to tell you, but, um, well, since you ask, you guys have forced my hand, and I'm going to have to do the unthinkable and punish you guys with the Babylonians. And Habakkuk is like, no, you, you don't mean it. Not the, not the Babylonians, Lord. How, how could you, right? How could you do this? And again, um, God says, look, uh, I told you, but you wouldn't listen. And I'm God, and now you you got to live with this and write it down. And you know, God tells him how, how things are going to be. And that actually realigns Habakkuk's view of God and his nature. And I think it realigns our view of God and his nature. And the book ends, chapter 3, with uh, what do you do? You, you worship. It ends with worship. Habakkuk has this prayer that he offers to God, and he sees the holiness of God. He, he gets it. He accepts it. And there are two main emphases in that prayer. One is the, the sovereignty of God, and the other is, man, we got to trust God. And God, he has a right to do what he does and what he sees fit and what is right and what is just. And we need to trust him. We need to trust that God is right and righteous in all that he does, because he is. And, and so uh, that's, that's, in a nutshell, the book of Habakkuk. We've spent a lot more time discussing uh, that. Um, book. Some things that rise to the top from that. What do we do when we don't know what to do? One, I think it's okay to ask questions. Habakkuk asks questions of God, and uh, God answers him. We also need to acknowledge the, the purity and the providence of God. 
We need to recognize that he is sovereign, and he's up to something we can't even fathom. What's God up to with COVID-19? What's he doing with this coronavirus business? Well, I don't claim to even begin to have the answers to that, but he's up to something. And we need to trust that he knows what's best. And we need to renew our faith in God, and we do that through worship and and specifically prayer. One of the things that we're doing at Davis Park every night at 1900 hours, 7 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time, I go live on Facebook, or, or Buddy, who's the other minister on staff here, he goes live on Facebook, and we spend time devoted to praying about those who are affected by and afflicted with COVID-19. We are devoting ourselves to prayer at this time because that is a powerful thing that we can do when we don't know what to do, is to spend time in prayer. Uh, and also to worship, and Alex is going to say more about that in a few moments. But but that's I think this is another um, very key component to what's going on right now, what we're experiencing with all the uncertainty and, and the, the distress and the disturbances to our regular schedules is, uh, is Habakkuk speaks a powerful word to that. Uh, Alex, what else do you see from God's Word that may be instructive for us? Well, this last Sunday, uh, one of our members, uh, his name is Chris, he led our study and he talked about Psalm 27. And I thought it was a great uh, devotional thought, great lesson. And uh, the first verse of Psalm 27 says, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries, my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. I won't read the rest of the psalm, but I recommend you read the rest of the psalm. It's a psalm of confidence in the midst of things that are scary. And so it, it there are things worthy of being afraid of. David's not denying that, but he takes a step back and he says, but even though these are fearful things, I'm not going to let myself be afraid because who am I supposed to fear? Yahweh's my defense. He's my life. He's my light, my salvation. Who am I supposed to dread? So David has real reason to be afraid. He has people actually trying to come and kill him. So not just a, not just a virus, but intelligent, you know, strong beings who want him dead. And this is, you know, ultimately, I think something David has to write down and verbalize for himself through the Holy Spirit, of course. And this helps him to take courage. That's his last word on the psalm. Wait for Yahweh. Uh, throw, you know, uh, uh, heard the same thing in Lamentations. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for Yahweh. So I like what you said that Yahweh's up to something. So we don't know what it is, but he is there. He is working within his divine providence uh, and that we just simply need to wait for him. But in the meantime, while we're waiting, there are still things that we can do. We can put our mind on higher things. We can uh, think higher thoughts. And this is important for our own transformation to be more and more like the image of Christ. I'm reminded of Romans 12, uh, be transformed by the re, uh, uh, transformation of your mind 
uh, I'm butchering it. Hold on. <laughs> Don't not, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed right. by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what the will of God is, that which is good, pleasing, and perfect. I didn't even have to look that up. It finally came back to me. So, <laughs> And that's part, that's part of transformation, right? A lot of transformation happens under pressure. It happens in the moment of trial. These are the moments that count. So Christian, make this moment count for your spiritual transformation. Make it count for the most of what it is because you will come out stronger for it. You will come out transformed in your mind for it. And it takes effort. Uh, what other... Th- Encouraging thoughts do you have, Nick? Well, you've, you've made the transition there from the Old Testament. We spent uh, you know, a couple uh, minutes focused on some Old Testament passages. Let's make the jump to the New Testament here. And I'm actually in Romans 5 for this, <clears throat> um, specifically verses 1 through 5 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What we see here is... So the principle, I think, is God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. And and I believe we see that here in this passage because it starts with suffering. Suffering leads to endurance. Endurance leads to the development of our character, and that development of our character leads to hope. And so in this way, there's a shaping effect of our character through the things that we have to suffer. Now, of course, all this is rooted in the gospel. Our God came near and he himself shared in suffering so that we might have hope. And so this is definitely, there's a connection here to the gospel, to Christ. But when it comes to our suffering, and when it comes to the things that we have to endure in this life, I believe it enables us to be more responsive to those who are enduring hardship and suffering. It, it, it enables us to reevaluate What's really important in our life? I, I think it helps put into perspective things that, you know, we thought were so big, and yet they turn out to be quite small. And we begin to develop that Christian character within us. It produces hope. Um, hope, as I've defined it, is the confident expectation that there's more to this world than meets the eye, and there's more uh, than than this this world of suffering and sorrow. But Listen, the road to hope must traverse that road of suffering. Also pictured here is um, the process of sanctification. Um, here is, is Paul talking about how we, we are developed as we endure suffering. Um, it has even a purifying effect. I think Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 also, about ceasing from sin if we have suffered in the flesh. And so our character is developed, and and we become even more hopeful people. And I think also one of the greatest and holiest uh, purposes of enduring hardship and enduring suffering is that it awakens within us a sense of God's love for us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, uh, writes Paul. 
And, and when does that happen? It happens especially in times of suffering. And so I think there's a lot to be said about um, enduring hardship for the cause of Christ, um, enduring even the, the hardship of um, our disrupted and disheveled lives now because of uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Uh, but uh, so that's what I see here in in Romans five. What else, Alex? Where else can we look for for hope in God's word? Well, we um, have done a podcast on the Book of Philippians, and uh, one of the verses that really stuck with me after we did that podcast was Philippians chapter three, verse twenty, where Paul says, "For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So this is, uh, you know, an eschatological passage, right? It's looking forward to the end. Uh, Paul is saying that, yeah, this humble body that we have right now, it's temporary it uh, malfunctions. It uh, wasn't meant to last forever. We get sick. Uh, we we get broken, and uh, we get old. And Paul says, "You know what? That's okay because this old, broken, sick body that is uh, waning away—the power that Christ Jesus has to subject all things to Himself—is the power that He will exert." to transform this body, to make it into a new body, an eternal body, an immune and immortal body. And that is the hope of the resurrection. That's the hope of the salvation which we await from our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come from heaven, who will return and take those who are his own home to be with him. And so that is, I think, a big picture verse, right? It's not saying it's happening now, it's happening tomorrow, it's happening next week, but it's saying that whenever it happens, whenever whenever I die, that this is ultimately where Christ Jesus is going to bring us as his people. This is the joy of our salvation. This is the hope which we have for that which is more than this life. You know, as you said, hope is the expectation that it's more than just what we see here now. And that's the kind of hope that works in tandem with that transformation that God works within us in our spirit and in our mind and in our heart, awaiting that final transformation in our body as we endure and persevere through trials. What else, Nick? Do you have another verse of encouragement for us? Well, I suppose if I did, it would be one that I shared last night uh, when we went live on uh, Facebook. It's it's a very familiar story from the uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'll record it. Uh, Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27. Mark 4, 35 through 41. Luke 8, 22 through 25. Jesus, he invites his disciples to go across uh, the lake to the other side. They all get in the boat and they make their, start making their way across and <clears throat> storm kicks up and the waves threaten to break up the boat. The boat is swamped with water. The disciples are terrified. They're certain they're going to drown. And Jesus, Mark tells us, is asleep in the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. 
And the disciples come, wake him up, master, teacher, don't you care? We're going to die and do something. And Jesus, he wakes up, he rebukes the wind and the waves, peace be still. And in an instant, the storm ceases, the sea becomes calm, and Jesus asks his disciples, why were you so afraid? Where is your faith? And I think that's a question even for us today is, Mm. why are you so afraid? Mm. Where is your faith? Right. If your faith is in the government, (laughs) that that you have faith the government's going to do the right thing always, you will be sorely disappointed. (laughs) Um, if your faith, your confidence is in people, you will be disappointed. But this miracle shows us from the life of Christ. It shows us, it's intended to communicate, Jesus is trustworthy. When all life is chaotic and uncertain, Jesus is trustworthy because he's God in the flesh. He's master over everything. In this case, he's master over the elements, the storm. But he's also master over every virus, including uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, and, and while we can't change the situation, what we can do is we can trust God in the midst of this situation. Right. And, and that's what we need to do is, is we need to put our faith. It is well-placed when we put our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, Alex, what about you? Anything else? Yeah, I have one more from Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, where it says concerning Jesus, he is before all things, and in him all things are. Hold together Hmm. the very fabric of every living thing in the universe holds together for one purpose and because of one thing and one thing only, and that is the power and life of Jesus Christ, who is before all things, who holds all things together. And this is... uh, makes me think of my my thesis that I'm working on, you know, uh, life force, life, when things are alive versus things that are not alive. Where does life come from? It always goes back to the creator, which is Jesus Christ. In him, all things were created. Nothing was made that has been made without him, John 1. And so, again, he holds everything together. He holds you together. He holds your family together. He holds the bird outside your window and the tree together. Oh, yeah, didn't Jesus say not one of them will fall apart from the will of your heavenly Father? I'm reminded of a song, and some have said, I think rightfully so, this over the last, you know, almost 200 years has become sort of the theme song for the churches of Christ. And since that's our background and, uh, you know, probably the, the you know, listener of our, of our audience, of our podcast here, I want us to remember the song, Our God, He is Alive. Mm, 728B. 728B. <laughs> and here's what the song says. I think it's in the second verse of the, the copy that I have anyway. Secure is life from mortal mind. God holds the germ within his hand. Though men may search, they cannot find, for God alone does understand. Secure is life from mortal mind. God holds the gem within his hand. Though men may search, they cannot find, for God alone does understand. There is a God. He is is alive. In him we live. In him we live. And we survive. And we survive. From dust our God. (laughs) Great song. We sing it. Is it true? 
Does he really hold the germ within his hand? Do we believe it? Did it used to be true and is it now? Or is it still true today? Do we still sing it and mean it if we sing it today? That brings us to, I think, some practical things that we could do in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around us. And uh, Nick and I have a few things that we think are practical, helpful. And uh, the first thing is what you could do with all this extra time that you have with your family is gather your loved ones every day and sing praises to God. Look up on the internet, you know, hymns or gather, you know, get out the hymn books if you got copies and just sing songs of praises. We're not exactly, you know, in a dungeon with chains like Paul and Silas and Philippi, you know, Acts 16. However, we see that even in that situation, what were they doing? They were praying, they were confined, and they sung songs of praise, praise to God. So that, I think, is going to be the most helpful and therapeutic thing you can do. Because sometimes even when you pray, you don't know what to pray. Uh, sometimes you don't know what to say from the scriptures for an encouragement or devotional thought. But you can always sing. You can always sing. So get together with your loved ones every day. Sing praises to the Lord. That's the first, maybe the most important thing I would recommend every Christian to be doing right now at this time. Um Nick, what what's a practical piece of advice from you? Uh, wash your hands. <laughs> I mean, this is a <laughs> this is a virus. Um, it, it's as uh, similar to the flu and all that. And so, I mean, you do that with the during flu season, things like that. So, um, yeah, be sure you're practicing good hygiene. That's that's always a good thing to do. Uh, yep. Keep the germs away. Kill the germs. Yep. Um, and uh, we've we've installed. So I'm. Uh, our situation a little different than than um, Minnesota. We we are uh, uh, middle sized. I guess is probably the best way to describe our congregation. And uh, we have installed hand sanitizers around the building. We have it readily available for folks. Um, I mean that's it's always good to practice good hygiene. Um, in addition, so. Um, Again, different situation because uh, we're kind of a middle-sized congregation. We're we're working and and we're in a different state. Um, California has uh, in, enacted different guidelines um, as a result of gather or, or for gatherings as a result of coronavirus. And so uh, right now it stands that they've limited groups to ten here in California uh, gatherings of people down to ten. And so uh, we've had to suspend our worship services in the meantime, and we're going to have to kind of play this by ear as um, uh, the outbreak continues and is monitored. So we've had to go to a digital platform, and I mentioned COVID-1900. Every night we do that, and that's our effort to um, keep our group cohesive during this time. It's a very simple thing. You do it right on your cell phone. Um, but we, you have to stay in constant communication with your church members. It's difficult to do the bigger you get, but I think it can be done. And just make sure information's out there, even daily email blasts, uh, daily posts on the Facebook page. Um, we're having to go to a digital virtual format for our Sunday worship. Uh, but it's all in an effort to keep our people um, focused, uh, keep it, uh, keep them together, cohesive, 
and also to make sure we're we're doing our best to honor God. And you know, there's there's historical precedent for this. There's an article that's been floating around Facebook, written by uh, John Mark Hicks from Lipscomb Hat Tip. Um, he's done pulled some resources from the Gospel Advocate during the influenza outbreak back in the early 1900s, 1918, 1920, and all that. And and the the church has been through this before. Sometimes we get hyper focused on the now, but Back then, they had to close churches for weeks because of the uh, outbreak of influenza. So it's not an exact parallel, uh, but I do think it's instructive for us today. History doesn't necessarily repeat as much as it echoes, right? And so um, there, there's precedent. These guys back then, they worked through it. You know, you want to you wanna give God what's God's, but you also want to be in submission to the authorities. And the authorities back then were saying, hey, we got to cancel this stuff, so what do you do? Kind of where they reasoned to was God desires uh, mercy over sacrifice, compassion over sacrifice. And so they said, yeah, we'll, we'll close for a little bit in order to try and uh, stop the outbreak of this disease. And, uh, and, and, but, you know, the church is resilient, and she finds ways to minister and to serve, even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. Some churches opened their doors back then as places where the sick could be held and treated by uh, medical uh, personnel. and uh, So you can still find ways in order to serve God, even when you're having to shelter in place, stay home, and stuff like that. And so um, I know some people get upset about, well, you, you're canceling church, and you know, you, what, what are you doing? Are you trying to, you're trying to say the church or the government has authority over the church? No, no, we're we're trying to do our best to honor God and obey God, and at the same time submit to the ruling authorities. And how do you how do you work that in? Not every church has done that, by the way. In California, there are some. I won't name them. I don't want to get them in trouble. But there are some who said, "Well, we're still going to hold services." And and okay, that's that's fine. We've decided to do it this way, and that's right. And I I think there's benefit to that. So. But um, so that's that's kind of what we're doing out here. Some hopefully helpful practical things that we've done as a church. Alex, what else? You got anything else? Yeah, another practical thing is uh, you know dovetailing on what you just said about different positions that congregations are taking as far as whether they meet or whether they don't meet or to you know what platform or extent to which they meet. Here's the important thing: this is not a time to be arguing, right? Hmm. There's a time for debate. And there's a time for no debate. And this is a time for no debate. When the last thing we need in the midst of trial is to be divided and divisive and argumentative and angry and bitter. We don't need any of that. Don't need any name calling. Uh, Nobody is is stupid here, okay? (laughs) Nobody is arrogant here. That's not going to build up the body of Christ and keep us united and strong together. Nobody needs to convince anybody of their position because when it comes down to it, each person and each leader has the right to do what they think is best in the eyes of God for themselves and their family and their brother and sisters in Christ and even for the community abroad. So whether you think following God means meeting together like normal, because it's more important than whatever potential consequences, or by you know following God, you are not meeting because you want to 
fall of the governing authorities as an example of godly submission. Neither side needs to be rebuked. Both sides are commendable and believe, hopefully, within their hearts that they're doing what God wants them to do. Not a time for arguing about it. Not a time for trying to logic the other side into changing their mind. Not a time for that. So that's a practical thing. Tame your tongue. Watch yourself. That's a practical step. Yeah, not a time for fake news either. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Do your homework. I mean, a simple Google search can save you a world of heartache when it comes to sharing stuff all over social media and things like that. Um, Because there's a lot of disinformation, a lot of bad information out there. We want to make sure that, again, we're sober-mindedly pursuing uh, the truth. So, And... um Another practical thing that you could do is, I, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, uh, don't panic buy. You know, you, know, you might uh, say, no, because other people are going to panic buy, and then I'll be left with nothing. I understand that. However, Christians are supposed to stand out as different, with a different level of confidence and calmness and peace. I suggest, as a practical step, do not panic buy food. There's nothing told to us so far that leads us to believe that shelves aren't going to keep being restocked. All of our grocery stores have trucks coming on a daily basis. Just get what you need for your family to eat now, not six months from now. That way, everybody else can also get what they need to eat now. If you panic buy, it actually takes away from those who are less resourceful than you are. And it's not right to stock up just to say you're going to share with them later. It's like, you don't know everybody who needs it. <laughs> so let people get their own portion. And uh, th- yeah, I think we, that's we, important. We didn't panic buy food, but, you know, we, we did stockpile our toilet paper. That's okay, right? <laughs> what about paper towels? No. no. Uh, Nobody sanitizer? said to buy toilet paper. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, don't, don't panic buy. If you're going to buy anything... Buy a flashlight, okay? Because if for some reason, you know, we don't have lights for a day or two, it's good to have a flashlight on hand. You're supposed to have a flashlight anyway. So Mm. buy a flashlight, you know? Sure, have some dry goods. Have have some flour, have some, you know, oats, rice, whatever, if you can find any, right? Because they're all gone. If you find some, don't buy it all out. Get whatever you need for you and your family for a few days or for the week. Please don't panic by it. it. Makes it hard on everybody else. That's my yeah. that's my practical advice. You might strongly disagree. I understand. I'm not going to rebuke anybody about it. I just think that that's what's best for everybody. That's what's best for the community. Don't, that's don't why we're the... that's why we're social distancing, right? We're trying to do what's best for the community, for the elderly to prevent the hospitals from being overwhelmed, to prevent from elderly from getting sick. Well, if you really believe that you should do what's best for the community, what's best for the community is not to hoard food and to stock up on everything. That's what's best for the community. And and don't be the guy in It's a Wonderful Life who wants all your money out of the bank. <laughs> be the little old lady who's like, I just need like two bucks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Any other practical tips, Nick? Um, I think that's all I've got. Did you have anything else? Uh. I thought I had one or two more, but I kind of lost it now. This is what happens mm. when we don't script things. So, <laughs> I, I know what we do have is we each have a one-minute sermon in us. That's right. We have. We thought it would be good to end the podcast with a little bit of a levity. 
And so uh, one-minute sermon, uh, Nick, why don't you remind our audience what a one-minute sermon is in case they've uh, blocked it out of their mind. We have each selected a particular song title, any genre, and we will be giving each... I will give my song title to Alex. Alex will give his song title to me. And we have one minute to come up with a text, a sermon text, as well as the, 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 a good start on a sermon. Uh, we're preachers. We know Sunday's coming. And so we want to uh, help out all those preachers out there and give you a good start on Sunday because Sunday's coming. That's right. So... Nick, I have a, a song for you. So here's the song title. You have one minute to give us a sermon on it. Okay. It is a song by R.E.M. Uh, so if anybody remembers R.E.M. from the 90s, great band. The song is called It's the End of the World as We Know It. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Six o'clock TV hour, don't get caught in foreign towers, slash and burn, return, listen to yourself, train. All right. It's the end of the world as we know it, Nick. One minute on the clock, starting starting now. So for me, I got to go to Mark 13, um, where Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. It would have been the end of the world as they knew it uh, for the, the Jewish people back then. And I especially want his teaching at the end of chapter 13, because he tells them, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Uh, stay awake, verse, uh, that, so that was 32, uh, excuse me, 33, 34, stay awake, 35, stay awake, um, 36, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep, 37, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Vigilance, that's, that's what we're called to, um, sober-minded vigilance. Whenever it looks like the world is about to end, it's the end of the world as we know it, we are called by our Lord to be sober-mindedly vigilant in the midst of that. So that's my one-minute sermon. All right. Good job, Nick. Well done. <laughs> one minute goes uh, by fast. It does. It does. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I have selected for you, Alex, a song by Louis Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful world. Of course. <laughs> what a wonderful world. Uh, I, I see trees <laughs> are green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. It's <laughs> crazy. That was great. <laughs> Channeling my inner Louis Armstrong. One minute on the clock, Alex. One minute sermon. Uh, what a wonderful world. And go. What a wonderful world. Well, what better passage than to just take it back to Genesis and the beginning of all creation when God created each thing day by day. He said it was good. And then at the end of his work, after six days, he looked and said it was very good. And then he rested on the seventh day. There we see the blueprint, the ideal, the goal to which Yahweh as our creator has worked for and is continuing to work for because there is a day coming where 
we will be back in the garden. Part of that initiative has been accomplished through Christ Jesus and the recreation of our humanity, of our soul through Christ Jesus. So we are a new humanity and Yahweh will bring us back to a new garden, to a new home where it will be a wonderful world where heaven and earth are one. And that's my sermon. Nice. All Uh, right. Well, there you go. Uh, all you preachers out in the audience, Sunday's coming. Now you have a good start on two sermons. That's right. How can our audience help with the podcast? They can go into the uh, iTunes, the, uh, the Apple Podcast app as well, and you can search Swordplay. You can also search Swordplay in the Google Play Music Store. All of the archives there are available for you. You can download them to your particular device, take them with you. Also, leave a review. That'll help us uh, boost the the podcast in those respective places. Share it on social media. Help us get the word out about the podcast as well. Alex, if people have questions, uh, can they send that somewhere? Yeah, send your questions to swordplaypodcast at gmail.com. That's swordplaypodcast at gmail.com. The way you spell sword is S-word, S-word podcast at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to answer it to hear your thoughts and we thank you for tuning into this episode about coronavirus and christ we'll see you next time on another episode of swordplay